0: Well, good morning again and welcome to Windsor Road. My name is Jason Weatherholt. I'm the family life minister here at Windsor Road. And uh, I don't know if this is your first Sunday with us or maybe first Sunday back at church in a long time, but we just want you to know we are so, so happy that you are here. And if you, uh, you snuck in this morning and thought, oh man, I hope nobody figures out that I'm a big sinner. Well, I have great news for you. This place is full of them, all right? Absolutely full of them. Which leads me to introduce my guest this morning. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a cheap shot. I did that both hours to you. I'm so sorry, Terry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, This is my good friend and neighbor uh, <laughs> and fellow church, I don't know, attendee. This is Terry Walters. Terry, uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit here? Uh, tell us about you and, and your favorite baseball team on the face of God's planet. Well,
1: we'll start with that part, I guess, first. Uh, up to last night, <laughs> but last night at about 10 o'clock, my feelings changed, and from now on, It's the Pensacola Wahoos. (laughs) The Wahoos don't have a closer named Carlos Marmor who gives up two home run pitches to two brothers in the bottom of the ninth inning to lose the ball game. It's a difficult life, right? It's tough being a Cub fan. (laughs) Well, anyway, why don't you tell us about you and what you do? About myself. Uh, Sheila and I have attended church here, as many of you know, for a number of years. Uh, I personally have, in the past year, joined the ranks of the retired, kind of sometimes. Uh, but prior to that, in a distant land far, far away, I was an elementary and junior high school administrator. Uh, a teacher of young minds, so to speak, but oftentimes I was the one learning the most. I had the opportunity after about 14 years of that to to go to work for the state of Illinois. And in that position, I was a investigator with the Department of Children and Family Services doing investigations in a 16 county area here in central Illinois. It ranged everywhere from down in Shelby County up to Iroquois and from Pontiac and Livingston County to Clark and Cumberland counties, south of Charleston, and working with our offices in those different areas. Sometimes, and working with kids and families for those many, many years, I saw how history would repeat itself so many times. One poignant story I remember so well, the housekeeper stepped into the motel room and as she looked about the room, she saw these many pictures of two children as they were growing up and across the chest of the man lying in the bed, scribbled were bad daddy and the gun lay next to him on the bed. I had met with his 12 year old daughter only four days before and heard of the inappropriate actions the father had taken on a recent camping trip with his daughter and son. How does she ever become normal? How does a 10-year-old son ever understand what happened to his family? How does a widow, mother, comfort her children when things like that occur? I remember another time sitting in the back of a police car man had recently been arrested, was in handcuffs, and we were talking about the circumstances in his home. And in tears, he said, Terry, I didn't mean to hit him that hard. I didn't mean to hurt him. I mean, my dad loved me, and as I was growing up, he'd spank me. I knew he loved me, and I loved my son. I didn't mean to do it. Maybe some of those tragedies are far away from you. Maybe they're not any place where you live or anything you carry with you, but I remember a second-grade student, a little boy, and, and he would oftentimes come to class and he'd immediately fall asleep. And so the one day the teacher sent him down, go see Mr. Walters, see what he has to say. And as I spoke with this little bitty seven-year-old, he said, well, at nighttime, when I'm in my bed at night, I hear mom and daddy screaming at one another. And they throw things, and they hurt one another. And my sisters, they're littler than me, and they come into my room, and, and they crawl in my bed because we're scared. So a couple days later, I went out to the house and met with mom and dad. And mom and dad are good people, and they're trying hard, and marriage is a struggle. But as they told me, oh, we know this doesn't affect our kids, because when we argue, it's after they're safe away in bed. They don't know what's going on. Maybe that's closer to where you live. A little, little nine-year-old, so sweet, and she, she came to school, and it just seemed that her homework was never done. And so in speaking to her, she said, Well, you see, where we live, there are people that live upstairs, and I know who they are, but I have to, I have to take care of my, my brother and sister at night. They're littler than I am because mommy works and I spoke with mommy and mommy was wanting best for her kids but you see she had grown up with a working mom she knew that's what mama had to do and so too she had that third shift job where her three children were home maybe that's a story closer to you There was a time where I sat across the table from a young lady, 43 years old, married, uh, now an adult child. And tears in her eyes, she explained how, yeah, I I buy a lot of gold jewelry. I have all kinds, and, and I have purses, and I have all kinds of shoe boxes and shoes, but it never fills the hole in my heart. You see, my dad left when I was just a little girl. My mom always blamed me. Said I was worthless. Said there was nothing good about me. And I've, I've tried to buy enough stuff. But the hole's still in my heart. Hmm. A man, 63 years old, we were talking. And, and he explained how his, his father had loved them as children so much. And I asked, well, how did you know that? How did you realize it? I mean, you know, did he give you hugs and kisses and tell you he loved you? He, well, no, he wasn't that kind of a guy. No, we, we didn't get kisses and hugs. I said, well, how about between he and your mom? There were there lots of hugs and kisses and affection? He said, no, no. He worked hard. He was a district manager, and he was gone a lot, and he worked really, really hard to support us, and and that's how I knew he loved us. This same man looks in the mirror and wonders why his marriage is crumbling, because he doesn't know how to express his love. Maybe that's close to your home. You know, as parents and adults, Jason, one of the things i found is the issues that parents have, those overriding struggles of past, of their past, their parents' past, their grandparents' past, those struggles affect generation (laughs) after generation until someone steps up and just says, I can't do this anymore. There has to come about a change. <laughs> they have to stand up and make the change. Thanks, Terry. It's a powerful
0: thought that Terry shares, isn't it? You know, that parents', will, parents choices will continue to affect generation after generation until somebody stands up and makes a choice for something different. I read once that it is very difficult in our society today for anyone to make it to adulthood without some damaged emotions along the way. And I I think that many who are here in this room today understand that all too well. I I remember vividly for me what, what I would consider probably the worst day of my whole life. Uh, I, my parents uh, split up. They separated when I was in third grade. Uh, and then they divorced when I was in fourth grade. And, and shortly thereafter the divorce, my dad made the decision to move from Aurora by Chicago where we live down to, uh, to Tennessee. And so I remember, I remember it seems like almost every event of that day, the day that he left, I remember uh, being over at his apartment and, and packing up all the last-minute things. And I remember going together to kind of our last meal. We went out for lunch at McDonald's. And at fourth grade, it was the first time I'd ever eaten a 20-piece chicken nugget on my own. You know, and I, I think I probably wouldn't have eaten 100 chicken nuggets if he put them in front of me. I was just trying to make the day go longer in any way I could. And, and I remember going from there to the house that my mom and I lived at. Um, you know, and saying whatever we said in the driveway, and then watching his little gray Ford Escort kind of go up the hill and around the bend. And I've never been a big crier my whole life, but I remember running in to to my room, just throwing myself down the bed, just busting into tears, and just flailing. I mean, just the emotion that came out from me, everywhere, just realizing that things were never that. That like chapter had basically ended. That things were going to be different. From there on. What I didn't know then uh, is that many of us, myself included, will take some of the most painful experiences like that of childhood along the way. And we'll just kind of bottle those up, right? Because at the time they're just too difficult to deal with for us to make sense of it all. And so you just kind of bottle up those. And and the problem is if you never end up dealing with those. You can sometimes make it to adulthood, kind of being an unbalanced adult, going through your life and just projecting all those hurts on someone else. Or looking for fulfillment in a bunch of places that will never fulfill you at all. Or or continuing to make a cycle of wounding choices with others until somebody stands up to, to, to make a choice to get help. And in the book, Healing Damaged Emotions, David Seaman says some of the most powerful weapons in Satan's arsenal are psychological. And again, maybe you know that well. I don't think any of us is immune from that. Well, we're kicking off a series today called Modern Families, okay? And if you're a big fan of the show, uh, apologies. We mostly just kind of took the graphic idea for the show. So we don't have any uh, intent to show a bunch of clips along the way. But the point of the series for us is to consistently week in and week out to talk about this idea that God loves you right where you are. Okay, and I have no idea what else is going on in your life right now in this season, but, we, but I think that all of us need to hear that. God loves you right where you are. Okay, that, that your family doesn't have to be good enough for God to care about you. Then maybe this is good news. Your family can't possibly be good enough to get God's attention. Okay? He loves you right where you are. And, and he loves you too much to let you stay there. No matter where you come uh, this week or this weekend or what you've done or you say, well, you have no idea about my life. It doesn't matter. God loves you in midst of all of that stuff. And he loves you too much to let you continue in that place. Each individual in this church, each family that is here is a work in progress, I promise you. And today's theme is from hurt to healing. Okay, and I want us to spend some honest time today just to sort of looking at hurts and, and how we move our way toward healing in that. All right, and, and as we, as, as we kind of got this series ready and our, our family life team was working with Randy to, to develop the weekly topics, when we said the different topics and we knew we were gonna kick the series off this way, I went to Randy and I said, I, you know, I know this doesn't make sense. It's the week coming out of Easter and it's the kickoff of a new series and everything else, but I'm just telling you that... That topic, that hurt to healing topic, is my entire life. And if there's any way I could possibly uh, speak on that first week of the series, I would love to do that. So Randy said yes, and then it hit me that I would actually have to share. (laughs) So... So, I've been praying a lot going into today about what to share and what to bring into this. And I hope that we can grow together. And I know this is a topic that touches a lot of nerves because as soon as Randy's Friday email went out this week, we started to get emails back. Uh, I had, you know, we had Facebook comments. I had people drop by my office even on Friday afternoon just to share some of their own stories in this. And we had, uh, we'll offer time later for anybody who wants to, to spend some time talking or praying. And we had quite a few who wanted to after first service, because we get that this, that we, we have this common bond, and many of us just have these wounds that we are still working through. Well, we're going to start in the book of Genesis today, all right? So if you've got a Bible with you, turn to Genesis 37. If you've got that Bible in the chair in front of you, it will be on page 28. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, so it should be easy to find for you. Page 28, uh, Genesis chapter 37, verse 2. Genesis 37 Um uh, and here's what it says. It says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. So I read this. I don't know how many of you are older siblings, okay? But I kind of read this and I think, you know, it sounds like a tattletale younger brother type situation here. You know, he brings a bad report. So people get a little frustrated with each other about that. Now, in my house, I am the only male uh, at this point in our house, okay? And I like to think that's because God knew that I would be so much man, like that we wouldn't need any other men around in the house. I think the truth of the matter is God looked at me and said, oh my goodness, I'm gonna have to surround you by women if there's gonna be any help for you whatsoever in life, All right. But I get tattled on all the time in my house by our two daughters. Okay, you know, so it's like, Mom, Dad bought Mega Stuff Oreos at Walmart, or or Mom, Dad let us have caffeine at dinner again. You know, or or Mom, Dad, Dad, Dad grabbed his CRV, his car, and and uh, tied a uh, 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 tube to the back of it and towed us around the backyard in the snow. You know, I mean, it's just routine things, right? You know that. Actually, we have a DCFS guy here. Never mind, that, uh, that didn't happen at all. I'm sorry about that joke I made about you earlier. Anyway, verse 3, we're moving on. Now, Israel. Now, uh, this, is, this is also Jacob, okay? So Jacob, Israel, his name was just changed at one point, but this is Joseph's dad, Jacob. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had, they had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Ooh. Now maybe this is a little bit that's hitting closer to home for us. That that we've got a brother or a dad who's clearly showing favorites and there's a pretty big rivalry then happening in the siblings. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream when he told his brothers they hated him all the more. This is one of those times where I'm like, man, did you have to tell him the dream? But he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were biting sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Now, I'm assuming that his brothers didn't have to be experts in dream interpretation to understand what he was communicating. You know, it's like, so I had this dream and all your stuff bowed down to mine. Like, I wonder what it means. You know, it's like, <laughs> you can just kind of see how it happens, right? So, so uh, verse 8, his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Well, Joseph goes on to have another dream. This time mom and dad and the brothers are bowing down to him. Okay, so it escalates just a little bit. Well, a little later, his brothers are out working in the field, and he goes to visit them. And you can only imagine, he's hoping this visit goes just a little bit better than the last one, right? So verse 17, we'll jump down to verse 17, chapter 37. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dotham. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Okay, so I guess it didn't go that much better verse 19. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Wow. Okay, now in a moment of love and grace, they actually don't kill their brother. They only sell him into slavery, all right? So, how many of you here have a sibling? Just show hands. How many of us have a sibling? Okay, I'm going to guess this is, this is most of us here. All right, even on your maddest day ever with your sibling, would you ever actually consider selling them? Well, you know what? Maybe, you know, people are laughing. Maybe I should just not finish that sentence. I mean, <laughs> don't answer that, okay? The question is, how does it get this bad, Right? I, I mean, some of you look at this and you say, well, that's not far off from what my family is like. But many of us look at this and we think, how can family dysfunction get to this point? I mean, how can it really get this bad that someone's gonna sell their, blo- their brother into slavery and pretend like he was dead? Well, let's take a look at Joseph's family tree just a little bit, because I think it'll shed some light on this and on what, Sherry, uh, on what Terry shared with us earlier. So let's look at Joseph's dad, Jacob. All right? Jacob is a guy who has two wives, and, and then he has children through their maidservants. But he has two wives, and they are sisters. Now you might ask, hmm, how does one guy end up married to two women who are sisters? Well, funny you should ask, okay? If you flip back a couple chapters to Genesis 29, here's what it says. Genesis 29 verse 14, it says, After Jacob had stayed with him, him is going to be Laban, for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely. Now listen, okay, this is Bible talk for Leah had a great personality, okay, (laughs) and Rachel was lovely and beautiful. If you need a translation there, I'm here to help, okay. So Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. I'll work seven years to earn her hand in marriage. Okay? So he does. That's what he does. He goes ahead and he works for seven years to get Rachel as his wife. And the Bible says, I just love this line. The Bible says, but it only seemed like a few days to him. You know, isn't it? like, oh, man, I was just... It's like Stephanie Meyer has nothing on the Bible, right? It's like, oh, so romantic. I can't believe. Um, And his name's Jacob. It really works, doesn't it? Anyway. um, But on their wedding day, the father-in-law tricks Jacob, okay? So on their first night that they're going to spend together, the father-in-law, instead of sending in Rachel, whom he's worked for for seven years to earn in marriage, instead he sends in Leah, the other sister, And we don't know exactly why Jacob doesn't notice the difference. I mean, it could possibly be that he had enough to drink on his wedding day, that he was so drunk and he didn't pay attention. Or it it could be that his new wife was veiled. We don't know exactly why. But what we know is that he wakes up in the morning with a big, huge surprise. The woman he'd worked seven years for is not the one lying next to him in the bed. So he obviously goes and he has words with his father-in-law, and he's given Rachel in exchange for seven more years of work. Okay, so put yourself in the story. Who are you going to end up liking more? I mean, now you have this little, you know, I guess happy family where you're married to two different sisters and you live in the same house together. And are you going to, you know, are, are, are you going to spend all your time thinking about the one you work 14 years to have in marriage? Or are you going to think about the one who snuck into your bed at one point along the way, okay? So he ends up favoring Rachel and the children that she bears. And because of that, those brothers all hate Joseph. So that's the family tree type thing we have going on here. But listen, the dysfunction in this family goes back further than that. All right, this is the same Jacob who at one point conspired with his mother, Rebecca to steal the blessing from his older brother, Esau. Okay, if you know this story, they, they, they go together basically to, to trick his father, uh, Isaac. Okay, so you think, well, how could Isaac and Rebekah end up in a spot like that? Well, I don't know. Maybe there's some cracks in the foundation that appear uh, for Abraham and Sarah along the way. You know, when Abraham decides to, to, to lie and say that Sarah is his sister, not his wife, and so then the Pharaoh takes her into his court. Okay, so, you know, maybe that creates some problems that go along in the family. Or maybe after God promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a descendant, that their descendants would be as numerous, numerous as the stars in the sky, and they decide it's taking too long, Sarah tells her husband, Abraham, well, you just need to go and have a child with my maidservant, and we'll just get this done a different way, okay? And if you've been watching the Bible and the History Channel on Sunday nights, you know this doesn't go very well, all right? Guys, this may be a good learning point for all of us, okay? If your wife urges you to have a child through her maidservant, it's not going to end well for you, okay? I mean, that's just a freebie. Like, that's an extra. You don't have to pay extra for that today, all right? But it doesn't go well. Sarah grows to despise this maidservant and this child so much that they eventually send them away. Okay, do you see how this works? Sin has this, like, generational impact in families, Where over and over and over again, the sins that affect one generation will just keep affecting the next generation. The one after that until someone stands up and says enough is enough. Until someone makes a choice for things to be different, it just keeps going over and over again. Think about the abused who grew up to become abusers. Okay, it might be easy for you to sit at the sideline and say, I, I can't imagine. I mean, if you've experienced the pain of abuse, how could you ever grow up and abuse someone else? Or, or if you grew up with the pain of alcoholic neglect, how could you ever turn to that later on in life? Or if you grew up knowing that the, the pain of, of an OCD parent that you could never please, how could you ever be a parent who's impossible to please in your own life? And yet it's exactly what, what we see and my guess is if you think about your family for a minute you probably see it happening over and over again generationally in your own family see whatever you battle in life I bet it didn't start with you I bet whatever sins you wrestle with did not start with you and your family. I bet those have been going on in other generations of your family for a long time. Alcohol, drugs, overeating, undereating, codependency, laziness, anxiety, insecurity, workaholism, infidelity, dishonesty, trust issues. I bet money. You are not the first one in your family to battle with those things. Healing for Damaged Emotions says, By their fruit you will know them, but by their roots you will understand them. And I think that's important for us. You are a product of both nature and nurture, but you don't have to stay that way. Okay, have you ever had that experience of that, we'll call them that parent at the grocery store, okay? So, you know, you're minding your own business, the county market or whatever, and you're shopping... And you hear a parent just yelling at a child at the grocery store. Okay, maybe you've been that parent, right? Haven't we all? Okay, but you hear, and it just kind of keeps going though. In this odd way, you know, and you come around the corner and you look at the situation. And you realize after a little while, (coughs) you realize that parent isn't actually even looking at the child. They're looking at you. It's almost like they're yelling at the child, trying to impress you with the way that they're doing it. I mean, have you seen this kind of thing happen before? And I always want to stop and say, listen, okay, it will never impress me for you to be able to belittle an 80-pound 10-year-old, okay? That will never be impressive to me at all. In fact, there's a reason that the majority of the growing up years a child has in your house, they're smaller than you, okay? God made it that way so you would win, so that we could maintain some ounce of control. I mean, if they were figured out that they were bigger and they outnumbered us, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we, right? There's a reason that they start out small. You don't have to prove to the rest of us that you run your house. We will assume that until you show us Otherwise. And really, I, I sometimes just want to come around the, Actually, I want to go back around the corner and run away. But there are times where I want to ask, who hurt you? I mean, really, because I, I don't think that what's really happening here is that you're that mad at the 10-year-old. I, I think maybe you're mad at your dad from when you were 10 years old. I mean, is it possible that all this yelling is not about this child and their behavior at all? It's about you crying out to some past that you never healed from. And maybe you're sitting here and you think, but I don't have kids yet, you know, or, or I'm not even married. And I would say to you, even better, what a great time for you to work on issues from the past before you have children, and it complicates everything, okay? Okay. What a great time for you to be able to raise them in a better environment. Well, let me tell you why this is so important. This topic is so big for me. All right. These up here, these are Katie and Allie. Okay. These little sweethearts are eight and six years old. Uh, And they're just kind of, you know, your average Christian kids. They're not perfect. They're, you know, they're wild and and everything else like everybody else. In fact, we did daddy-daughter date night here at the church last night, and it was a blast. Tons of dads. I see several dads are trying not to make eye contact because we all saw each other dance, you know. And it's like, (laughs) let's pretend that didn't happen, Right. We're getting ready to leave the house, and she's like, you mind if I take a book on Daddy-Daughter Date Night? So we sat at Steak and Shake, and she read a book. But, you know, hey, that's, that's totally cool. This is our very, very sweet eight-year-old who's going to get baptized later this month, and we're very excited. And then this is our six-year-old, Allie, here, who spends her days pretending to be a cat. and We're working on it. But, <laughs> okay, but I have a prediction that these two little sweethearts are going to spend a whole lifetime battling sin issues. You know how I know that? Because I know who their parents are. Because their parents are messed up. Well, not their mom. Their mom's a pretty foxy lady. I like her. But, <laughs> but their dad has got a whole bag of issues that he brings in. Okay, whether it's lust or arrogance or insecurity or feeling devalued as a child and then looking for value in a million other places. And you ask, where does all that stuff come from? Well, let's take a look at their family tree, right? See, their dad comes out of this situation with a mom who spent her life battling some OCD issues and some value issues and depression and all that because she had a mom she could never please along the way. And she had a dad who was gruff, cop-type guy who had this huge addiction to gambling that he could never take care of. Well, and the dad here, Chuck... This is a guy who, who spent his life as an alcoholic and a drug user and a womanizer. He walks out on his only son when he's a boy. And then he dies before they ever get an, an opportunity to patch things up. And you think, well, why, why would he end up that way? Well, could it be because he had a drill sergeant alcoholic of a mom that he could never make happy? And he had a dad, a dad who sexually abused one of his sons, this son growing up? And you think, well, how could they end up that way? Oh, I don't know. Could it be that there was another dad in the picture who, who one time came to uh, his wife at the time and said, if you go through, he came to, into the living room with a shotgun and said, if you go through with this divorce right now, I'll kill you and all three of the kids. And this boy watches it happen. And then he goes on to abuse, to sexually abuse his son, who goes on to be an alcoholic, who bails on his kid. And you see how this just kind of keeps going and going and going, and then I ask, I come back to this, and I say, how do these two stand any chance at all? You know what I mean? How do they stand any chance of not just repeating What has been done before them falling into the same rut? And I have two answers. The first is they have a God who loves them dearly and is watching over them. And the second is they have parents who are committed to breaking the cycle. I was on my internship. It's actually been about 10 years ago. I was on my internship right after school And I was working at a church uh, in the south suburbs of Chicago. And I remember the senior minister who was was there, uh, you know, was kind of a man's man, a tough guy, and a lot of respect for him. I remember him in the middle of a message one time. He said, how many of you would buy a car and expect your car to run for 50 years without ever having a tune-up? You know, of course, people are chuckling because it's like, well, of course you wouldn't expect that. And he said, then why do you expect a marriage to run for that long without ever getting any help for it? And he looked out, this kind of tough, gruff, man's man type guy said, You need Christian marriage counseling. He said, Men, step up to the plate and lead in your family and go get it done. Any of you could benefit from a tune up at any point along the way. And I remember Elizabeth and I heard that and thought, Wow, that's awesome. It took us 10 years before we actually put it into practice. But I've got to tell you, that's been a great thing for us in our marriage is making the choice 12 and a half years into a marriage to say, maybe it's time to get a tune up. There's a Jim Collins book, Good to Great. Maybe you've read this book. The idea of the book is good is the enemy of great. You know that companies and leaders and relationships and everything else will get to the stage where things are good and then good is comfortable, right? Right? I mean, good is easy. I don't have to put any more effort in for good to continue being the way it is, and so they just stay. And very few will put the effort forth that it takes to get from good up to great because they're so comfortable with where things are at. That's right. You know, the family life minister at Windsor Road has recognized that he has messed up enough that there's a need for counseling to continue for things to go toward great. And I got a secret for you. So are you. Any marriage, any relationship, any person in this church would benefit from the exact same thing. If your marriage is on the brink and you want to save it. If your marriage is awesome and you think, I'd love to take it to the next level. If your marriage is at a point where it is just over and you are left picking up the pieces Or maybe you're not married yet, and everything I've said thus far has terrified you, and you're never going (laughs) to consider it. Maybe you need counseling because of me. Okay, if you don't know where to start, send me an email. It's easy. You can find my email on the website. It's just jason at WindsorRoad.org. Send me an email, and I'll drop you an email back this week with some ideas of counseling-type places, okay? Whatever it takes. Here's the thing. Just listen to this. You owe it to your kids, you owe it to your kids to work on your issues so you can help them work on theirs. Do you hear that? You owe it to your kids to work on your issues so you can help them work on theirs. Remember, nobody makes it to adulthood without some wounds. And maybe those in your life weren't, weren't a... Uh, a they, they were not inflicted by parents or abuse or anything like that. Maybe it's just by bullies or breakups or anything else. But your kids need your help, and you can't help if you're not healthy and there for them. So let's talk for a minute about breaking the cycle. Okay, there are a couple parts to this. If we want to break the cycle of dysfunction that can so easily go in our families generation after generation, the first step is to confront your past. And there's no magic secret to how this happens, all right? If you want to confront your past, it starts with prayer. It starts with asking God to help you. It it starts with asking God to help bring to the surface memories that maybe have been repressed for a long time you haven't wanted to deal with. Maybe asking God for the boldness to do something about it. The next step is reflection. I read once that the fear of abandonment is the fundamental human fear so whether it's abandonment for you or it's something else, I think so many of us are so driven by fear. Maybe that comes out in anxiety or, or it comes out in worry or it comes out in insecurity or narcissism or so many other ways. We fear so much. And it is possible for us to get to 30 or to 50, or to 70, and we never got over the fear of potential abandonment or the wounds we have from very real abandonment. You need to spend some time figuring out where those feelings come from. Another step that has been critical for me is talking to relatives. The best time for this, funerals, okay? Okay. Isn't isn't it amazing? I mean, think about your family, right? That's like the one time all of us speak honestly to each other. It seems like, you know, and they just share what's going. Oh man, you have no idea. You think that story's crazy? You should hear what happened to Grandma in this, you know, whatever situation or whatever. And all of a sudden, you start to realize, I'm not the only one who wrestles with this issue. This has been going on in my family for a long time, and unless I stand up to do something about it, nobody will. Each child grows up in a different family depending on his or her configuration in that family. So maybe you find that everybody else has dealt with the same things as you or you find that yours are extremely unique in a situation. And the last one, I've already said this, is counseling. Okay, if you were equipped to fix all of this on your own, then I gotta think you would have by now. Okay, asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength. You owe it to your kids to work on your issues so you can help them work on theirs. The second piece of this is to take steps toward healing. One of the best things, I think, is to find an outlet for some of those feelings and those emotions. That, for me, has always been music. All along the way, that, for me, has always been music. And and I want to be careful here. There's a huge difference between an escape and an outlet, right? An escape is something we use to shut the world out. An outlet is something we use to help make sense of it in our experience, And as we were talking about today, and the programming team was meeting, and we were thinking about, is there a great song that we could use? You know, maybe a cover song or something else to bring this idea home. And it was actually Katie Passen who said, well, maybe I'll just write something. As soon as she said that, it dawned on me. It was like, oh, yeah, okay. I don't know why I didn't think of that. I have just a privilege a couple times a month to play music uh, out with some friends. And, And I've written a few songs for that process. And as you can imagine, a lot of the lyrics of those songs have come out of some of the things that I've been through along the way. So the more we talked about today, uh, the more I talked about, you know, I just kind of want to share this. Because this is, for me, at least an outlet of how I've helped to make sense. So Katie and uh, Tyler are going to come up. And and I just want to share with you uh, something that I wrote about kind of helping to process all of this stuff. So a part of this process, right... In taking steps toward healing is to battle your own struggles. What is it that I use as an escape? What is it? Is it work? Is it substances? Is it relationships? Is it hobbies? If you are anything like me, you can take anything good in your life and turn it into a bad thing, right? Anything that was created for good or happiness or anything else can become a destructive habit. And for those of us who, who use work as escape, I love this quote, seemingly logical explanations of that's the only way to get the job done, that's the only way to get ahead of my professional or company, or we need the extra money are all too often cover-ups for the feeling that's the only way to prove to them what I'm worth, which ties in with the feeling that's the only way to prove to myself and others what I'm worth. We've got to make healthier choices in this. It is not enough to remove one thing. You've got to fill that space in your life with something else. So if you have a 20-hour-a-week pornography addiction, if you take that out of there, you've got to fill that time with something else or you will fall right back into that rut. Okay, that's why we call it a rut or a pattern. It's what, the way you naturally live without any additional effort. And it might involve removing some things or some people completely from your life. Well, I, I love uh, coming up in a couple weeks. There's an event that we want to let everybody know about that I'm very, very excited about. So there's a, there's a guy named Craig Jutilla who uh, was a children's minister at a huge church in California, Saddleback Church, and, uh, and has written books and done a lot of great things and traveled the country. Well, they, they nearly hit a point of burnout in their own marriage And ever since that point, he and his wife have done a lot of stuff to have to do with ministry along the way with families that are struggling or, or helping good families do things better, become great families. And so we're going to have Craig Giutella come in here in a couple of weeks. And so on a Saturday night, on the Saturday, uh, April 27th, he's going to come in and we're going to have a big kind of family fun worship night type thing going on in here. And it'll be a blast. It's catered by Buca Beppo, So if that's, you know, any kind of a sales pitch or whatever. And then Sunday morning, uh, we're going to basically cancel everything else except for nursery. And everybody's going to be in here together worshiping as families. It'll be a blast. If you were around the last time we did that, it was a ton of fun. But I'm excited for that and our, uh, for that weekend. Here's the thing. Let me give you another thought. Okay, in, in the marriage debate that is, that is just currently gripping our country right now, I, I sometimes hear Christians who say things like or, or who seem to allude to the fact that nobody cares what they think. When the debate goes on. And my simple response is this. That maybe, maybe Christians today would have a little bit more influence in a discussion about marriage and family if anybody saw a noticeable difference in ours. Okay, maybe we would have the ability more and more and more to speak into other situations if there was a recognizable difference in ours. And maybe you don't come from a long line of alcoholics and cheaters and all that kind of stuff like me. Maybe you come from a long line of perfectionists and control freaks and manipulators and everything else. And sometimes I wonder if the acceptable sins are worse. You know, if somebody's an alcoholic, we try to get help for them. But you can kind of go through your whole life being a perfectionist and people just say, oh, she's just kind of a tough mom. Like, oh, she's just kind of a hard, hard dad. And we never actually seek help. Don't make your kids be the ones who stand up and end the cycle. We're gonna enter into our time of communion. The ushers have gone in the back and they're gonna bring forward communion and we wanna offer this as a time of reflection between you and God about some of the things that have gone on or are going on in your life. And throughout our communion time and the rest of our service, there'll be elders who will come down front, there'll be a few of us staff members who are down here. If you want to talk, Just to begin a conversation, we are so very happy to do that. We owe it to our kids to work on our issues so that we can help them work on theirs. Let's pray. God, thank you.